If you would bow with me in prayer and then we're going to open God's word together. Lord, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for this place. We thank you for this time that we have to gather here together. We just ask now that as we open your word, as we spend this time uh, hearing directly from you, that your spirit would move in this place, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would show us exactly what you want us to hear, that you would take uh, your living and active word and apply the truths Uh, that we talk about here this morning uh, to our hearts. I pray that uh, everything I say this morning would be pleasing and honoring to you, that it would be faithful to your text and your word, that we would let that stand over us. Uh, We do thank you that we have this place together, that we can come together in this way. And so we just pray that your name would be lifted up. We would make much of you this morning. uh, And we just ask that you would empower everything we do. Just as we just sang, Lord, we need you right now. We need you in all these things. We need you to understand, to be able to apply, to live out the truth of your word and who we are in Christ. And we thank you. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to just start with a question. I want you to think about this. Uh, I think most of us, there'll be at least some hint of this at some point in your life. Have you ever had a job that you got uh, where you were really unqualified for? Uh, you got a job and, and you started and you got there and you realized, like, I, I really don't know what I'm doing. Uh, in fact, that's the way jobs often used to work. Uh, way back, we'd have apprenticeships, you'd go to work with somebody, maybe your father or your grandfather, or somebody would bring you in and they would teach you a trade or teach you a craft. But when you started in that, you really didn't have a clue what you were doing. I remember hearing stories of this from my grandfather. My grandfather and my great-grandfather and my great-great-grandfather were all architects in the same town. And they apprenticed the next one to the next one to the next one, and they would do that. And when you started, you didn't really know what you were doing. Later, I would go to school for architecture. That was my undergraduate degree. And the first job I took was as an intern architect, actually intern architect one. That's the lowest you can be like an architecture firm. And basically you learned a base, uh, a lot of basic stuff. I did have some skills and some knowledge as I went to work, but there were so many things. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. The first day I walked in, I didn't know what code book they were using or what our city used or what that looked like. And I had to ask someone for everything, how the computer worked, how we drew things, what we did, all those kind of things. And so I got that uh, a little taste of what it was like in the old days as far as apprenticeship and what that looks like. But when you're in that situation, what you realize very quickly is you're really, really dependent on the people that are above above you in your your field. Right. I had to go and ask for everything because I really didn't know what I was doing. Uh, My wife can tell you some similar stories as a physician. She did internship, her intern year in her residency, have a lot of head knowledge, but now you have to go put it into practice. And so it's a lot of kind of on the job learning and you're real dependent on the people that know ahead of you. And I start there this morning and I mention that because when we start to talk about what we talked about last week, this idea of our mission as the church is to make disciples. That's the mission that Jesus gave us. And what we started to talk about last week is in order to do that well, we need to have a balance of the up and the in and the out. And I'm going to say that a lot today and the next coming weeks, and that's purposeful. We said last week we want to have a common language, and it helps to develop a culture. And we want to have a discipling culture here in this church. And so when we talk about up and in and out, what we mean is up in our relationship, growing in our relationship with God. In growing in our relationship with one another and outgrowing in our mission and our relationship to the world around. And what we see when we talk about discipleship is you have all three of those factors working together. And so to be doing that and making disciples and being disciples of Jesus, this is vitally important. And I say all that to bring you just to this idea of this kind of apprenticeship 
of being wholly dependent on someone who's walking you through this. That's a vital concept as we begin to think about having balance in the up and the in and the out and making disciples. We need all three of those things in all ways. Particularly this morning, we're really going to focus to a degree on this idea of our up relationship with God. How we grow in that and what that looks like. And the truth is, no matter where you are in your faith, or how long you've been a believer, or how long you've been claiming Christ, or how long Christ is in you, you're always the intern that has to be wholly dependent on the Father. Always. You never outgrow that. And that has to be central to everything that we look at as we go ahead. Growing in our relationship with one another, growing and sharing our faith and going out and being on mission. And all those things, we have to be wholly dependent on the Father. That's why I love when we stand up, when I stand up to open God's word, I love when we sing, Lord, I need you right before it. Right? It's very uh, appropriate before you open God's word to just confess, God, we need you or this isn't going to work. And the same is true when we think about making disciples and discipleship, when we're seeking to have a solid balance of all three of these things. If we're not wholly dependent on the father, it's going to be a colossal failure in every way. The truth is we can actually become fairly good at building community just on its own. Right. We can build community around different things. We can even get fairly good at going out and serving and caring for others and going out and seeking to help the Lord or to help the world. But if that's not rooted and grounded in our relationship with the father, those things are going to fall flat. Right? Like I, I've got a pretty good community of guys that I play basketball with. I usually do that early on Thursday mornings. And I've gotten to know all these guys for years and years of playing basketball together. But if you just have a community built around basketball, it's pretty shallow. Right. Like it's just just playing basketball. It's fun. It's enjoyable. You get some exercise. But if that's all it is, that's not really what we're going after when we talk about discipleship. The same is true when we talk about volunteering or being on mission or wanting to see the flourishing of our community. When we talk about it, we want to see those things with the ends. We want to be glorifying God. And if we remove that, then we're missing a huge piece of what that looks like. Right? You can get really good at getting people whipped up to go and serve and do some different things and get real excited about it and be serving and really busy. And if you're devoid of that relationship, the up relationship with the Father, it's a waste of time in so many ways in terms of discipleship and what we're seeking. It's kind of like you can build really good community. You can serve a lot of people. And if you don't have the relationship with the Father, it's like being in a really nice car with no engine. Right? It may look okay. It might look like, hey, look at what we got here, but we're not going anywhere. And so I want us to think on that this morning. And I want to re- just remind you as we do in every way of this, we're really going to focus more kind of on our up relationship with God, our father this morning. But I want to remind you that all three of these are so integri- integrally related. And I hope we'll see kind of how that is as we go through it, as we begin to think about it. And so just please hear me as we talk about this this morning. And as we walk our way through this series and we continue to come back to this idea of the up and the in and the out, please just hear this. If we are not completely dependent on the Father and seeking to serve and make disciples and love one another and care for our world, we are wasting our time. It doesn't go without it. If we're not going to put all our faith and hope and trust in the creator God of the universe, this is going to be a waste. And so this is absolutely vital to everything we talk about. And so I want us to look at that idea this morning. We're going to look at Matthew chapter four. 
to turn and look at Jesus and probably do this a few times in the, in the coming weeks, because what we see in the life of Jesus is the perfect example of the up and the in and the out. You see Jesus living perfectly in combination of all three of those things always. He's always got a smaller group of believers that he's walking with. They're going on mission together. He's constantly getting away to pray, spend time with the Father. He's doing that with other people. And you see all three of it always. You can read straight through the Gospels and see the perfect picture of everything we're talking about in Jesus. And so this morning we're going to look at this idea in Matthew chapter 4. And there's really just one theme when we talk about our up relationship with the Father. And it's simply this, utter and total dependence on the Father. That's the only way this works. Utter and total dependence on God and all things. That's the only way any of this works. And I want us to look at Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus is the perfect example of this. And there's two main things that I want you to see. The first thing, before we even kind of jump into what exactly he does and what he's teaching us here, I want us just to stop and think about this for a second. When we begin to follow uh, Christ more fully, when we become more and more dependent on the Father Things don't get easier. And in fact, oftentimes they get harder. Say that again. They don't get easier. Oftentimes they get harder. And here, hear me on this, but that's a good thing. I'm going to tell you why in just a second. That's actually a good thing. And we'll talk about why in just a second. And then secondly, secondly, what does Jesus teach us here about being completely and totally dependent on the Father? Right? So it's not always easier. In fact, it gets harder, but that's a good thing. And then secondly, what does Jesus teach us about it here? So just look with me at Matthew chapter four here and just big picture context of this. This is very early beginning of Jesus's public ministry. Right before this, at the end of Matthew chapter three, you have the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. And you get this picture of the spirit of God descends on him like a dove and comes to rest on him in chapter three, verse 17. And it says, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then the very next thing it tells us, Matthew chapter four, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so I want you just to think of this picture of Jesus who walks perfectly in the spirit, perfectly in communication with the father. And the first thing it shows us is he's he's led out into the desert to be tempted. And you see this picture that emerges in the idea that you get. I want us just to stop and think about this. The closer we get to God, the more dependent we are of God. Things don't necessarily get easier. In fact, oftentimes they can get harder. Now, if you were here with us last week and you can remember back that far, I said last week when we talk about the up and the in and the out and having them working in all three and having a balance of that, I made the statement that that is the best possible life that you can live. It's the best possible life, the way God has designed you to live, and it's wonderful. And then we start this week, and I say, the closer you grow to God, it gets hard. And so I want you just to think about that for a second. Is that a contradiction in those two? The best possible life is living out our identity in Christ in these different areas, but it's going to get harder. And so I want you to think about that for just a second, because sometimes that sounds like a contradiction when we start to talk that way. And I think part of the reason why is our culture values a life of ease. I want to insulate myself and make things easier. Right? I want to keep drama away. I want to try to keep those things at a minimum. I want to stay kind of keeping my circle closer together because maybe things will go a little easier for me. Now, it doesn't work, right? 
If you've ever tried to hunker down with just a few people, especially like your family, there's still drama. There's still problems. There's still all those things. But we think that way sometimes. Sometimes we think the good life is having an easy life, not having those things present and are there. But when you start to look at what it looks like to follow Jesus fully and completely opposite, you often see the opposite is true. Right? You look at Jesus, who was the perfect example of walking by the spirit and perfect relationship with his father and all things. And what kind of things came at Jesus everywhere he went? Right? It, it wasn't suddenly so much easier. But I want us to think about even though things can get harder and more difficult as God pours out more of his strength and peace in your life, oftentimes there's more conflict, there's more temptation, there's more strife that comes. Right? And that's a good thing. You go, well, wait a second. It doesn't sound like a good thing. It doesn't sound like that would be all that great. But I want you to think about what Jesus prays for us in John chapter 17. We looked at this in depth last year, if you were here. We spent a lot of time on John 17. And Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for the church. And he's telling us to be on mission and to love each other and to have unity. He's actually telling us, praying for us that we'd have a balance of this up in and out in our relationship, in our relationships with one another in the world, with the father, that we would dwell in his word. And he says all those things. And right in the middle of that prayer, he says, but now I'm coming to you, talking to the father. And he says, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The best possible life, although it's going to be difficult and there's going to be hard things that comes with it. Jesus calls us to this beautiful life of what this looks like, of having that balance. And even though it's going to be difficult, that's a good thing. And I want you to think about why that's the case. Right? Which is easier, to hunker down and just have a few close friends, not give yourself away, not be vulnerable, not step out, not do those things, or the opposite? You go to seek and serve and care for and step into messy situations and all those things. Which is easier? It's probably easier to keep it smaller and not enter into all these things. But my question to you is, which is better? Which is the life that Jesus calls us to? And from everything I can tell that he says, it's the second. It's giving your life away to love others, to love the body and love the world and to go together on mission for his glory. That's what he prays for us. That's what he calls us to. And here's why I think this is so utterly important when we begin to talk about our up relationship with the father. As you do, and as we step out more, and as we become more vulnerable together, and as we go on mission together for Jesus' glory, there's going to be a lot of things that come up that we can't do and are really, really scary. And you know what happens? God shows up. And he does things that you can't imagine. And in the process, he draws you closer in to his heart and what he's doing and what he's about. And it's way better than you ever imagined when you were trying to control all of it. And he says that over and over. Trust me. Test me on this. Let's go. Let's be on mission together. And it's going to be way better. And oftentimes I go, oh, that's kind of scary. I think I'll just stay right here. I'll just keep things where I can control them and not step outside of that because that's just, I think, going to be easier. And we miss so much of what God wants to do. And so when we start to talk about growing in our up relationship, it's not always going to be easy, but it will be better. And so look at what Jesus teaches us here, right? Perfect dependence on the Father. 
this picture of the temptation, things aren't great here. I mean, he's led out into this temptation. It's a difficult situation. And look at what it says happened. So chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You know, for a long, long time, I used to read that and think this 40 days of fasting was like part of the temptation. That he had to go out and get really, really hungry, and that was really difficult, and that was part of it. Because it says right there, he's really hungry. Well, of course he's really hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days, and I used to think that that was part of it. And now he's so weak and so tired, and then the devil, Satan, comes to him to tempt him. But the truth is, that's not what's going on. I don't think that's the picture at all. I think Jesus goes out and he fasts, and when he does that, what we know biblically, the picture of a fast, I'm going to remove food for a time and I'm going to replace that time with prayer. I'm going to talk to the Father in all things. I'm going to remove uh, this, this area of my life, this food that I need for physical nourishment. I'm going to replace that with spending time in prayer. And when I do that, think about what it does. It makes me needy. It shows my weakness. It shows how much I need food to continue to walk and, and, and have energy and do all that you do. And in doing that, when we begin to remove that, it shows us how needy we are. And then we replace that time by coming to the Father and praying. And begging for Him in different areas and to see Him more and asking Him for different things. I mean, think about just the physical response as you fast. You remove food, and then as your body tells you you're hungry, instead of going and answering that with food, you go and you talk to the Father. You answer that with utter dependence on the Father. And so the picture that you have here is Jesus does that for 40 days before the temptation. And so when we talk about growing in our up relationship with the Father, and by the way, Jesus says when he talks about fasting, And he talks about it several times in the Gospels. You know what he says when he talks about fasting? He says, when you fast. He never says if. He never says, hey, maybe that would be a good idea that you should take on fast. He says, when you fast, this is what it should look like. And so it's assumed that we'll be fasting, that we'll be seeking the Father in this. And Jesus shows us this perfectly. For 40 days he goes out and he seeks the Father before this temptation comes. And so when we start to talk about what does our up relationship with the Father look like, Jesus gives us this perfect picture. With the things that we have coming at us in the world, with all the temptations and the trials and the struggles and all that goes with that, that we would stop and just seek and plead for the Father in the midst of that. And Jesus shows us that perfectly. He's showing us what utter dependence on the Father looks like. See, oftentimes, I don't know about you, I I will confess my own. Oftentimes things get so busy and it's like, well, I can pray in the car, right? Or I can pray when I have time later. Or I'm so busy, I don't have time to stop and do that. You ever do that? And you don't have to answer it, but I want you to think about it. Do you ever go, prayer gets kind of pushed out to the side? And I remember reading years ago in this wonderful book by uh, Paul Miller called The Praying Life. And he said, when you do that... When you're too busy and you're all these things, you're saying, I'm good enough to do this on my own. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. That I can go through my life and go, I got this. And what Jesus is showing us right here in the midst of this for 40 days, 
He seeks the Father as he's saying, we can't do this on our own. We desperately need to be dependent on the Father. And so when we talk about growing in our up relationship, when we talk about wanting to grow in relationships with one another and going to the world and all those things, we're going to have to be a people who is rich in prayer. Dependent on the Father in all things and in all ways seeking Him in that. And the picture is clearly there. Jesus shows us what it looks like. Constant in prayer. You can trace this all the way through Jesus' life and you see it over and over. When things get really, really busy, he goes away. So he sneaks off into the, the hills or he goes off to pray and he does it all night oftentimes. The busier things get, the more you see him praying. And you see that you can trace that all the way through, constant in his life. And so when we talk about growing in our relationship with Father, prayer is going to be absolutely vital in every way. Now, that's 10 minutes in this sermon. I didn't cover everything in prayer. We spent like eight weeks last year on prayer. Those are still available on our website, podcast, all those things. If you want to go back and work your way through those. I'd also say to you, I just mentioned a second ago, Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. If you feel stuck in where you are in your prayer life and you're going, that's me. I run out of time. I'm not doing that. I'm not sure where to begin. That is a great resource to begin with. I'll take it one step further to you. If you want to read Paul Miller's A Praying Life, I'll read it with you. We will make time together to seek to start to how we put that into a rhythm and do that. I would love to do that with you. This is absolutely vital to anything we're going to do as a church. We can talk all we want about making disciples and having a balance of these different things. And if we're not spending time seeking the Father in prayer, we're going to fail. We desperately have to be a praying people. That's the first thing Jesus shows you. But then look at the second thing here and the way he responds in the face of these temptations and what's going on here. And so Satan comes to him. The tempter came to him in verse three. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus said to him again, it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to your test to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You see the pattern here on how Jesus answers every temptation? It's the same way he answers every person that comes at him his whole life. It's the same way he answers every hardship. It's the same way he talks on the cross. And that is he quotes the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. He says it every time. Every temptation that comes at him, he stands on God's word. And that relationship with his father is rooted and grounded on the word of God. And he says it over and over and over and over again. So it's a fascinating study to go all the way through the Gospels and see how Jesus responds to all the people that are around him. The people that are uh, coming at him and the different things and the way he talks to them and the way he responds. And you see this over and over. 
Oftentimes as the Pharisees come at Jesus and they try to catch him in different things, he'll just say, the problem here is you don't know the word of God. And then he'll say, it is written. And he'll tell him. He'll do the same thing that he does here over and over. And so when we start to think about us growing in our up relationship with the Father, our relationship is going to be directly related to our knowledge of God and the way that he has revealed himself to us in his word. It is absolutely vital in our relationship that we would do so. We cannot grow if you don't know who you're talking to. And God has gone to great lengths to reveal himself and he's done so in his word. His inspired, living, active, inerrant word. He's spoken to us. You realize when we read the words of God, When Mike stood up this morning and he read Isaiah 66, it is as if God is speaking to you right now. He is. That's what Scripture tells us. And so when we hear God's word, we are hearing directly from God. And so that is how we know him and grow in that relationship with him. Think about anyone that you have a really close relationship with. You, you, You learn from them by talking and listening and hearing. How are we going to grow in our relationship with our father if we're not listening to him, if we're not hearing him, if we're not coming to him the way that he has revealed himself to us? And so sometimes I'll hear people and they'll read uh, this particular passage and they'll start to look at this and they'll start to talk about how uh, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God descends on him. Verse 16, chapter three, and then chapter four, verse one, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And they say, well, I grow in my relationship because the spirit of God's teaching me. God's telling me he's walking with me. And that's true. God is walking with us. He gives us the spirit. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you. We're united. I'm going to give you the helper that teaches you, that's going to bring things to remembrance, all the things that the spirit does in our life. But when we divorce that from God's word, we're on scary, scary ground. When we start to go, well, I just hear from God in these different ways. Well, God has directly spoken to you and it's his word. This is the way that we clearly and most directly know who he is and how he's talked to us and what he said to us. And so if we try to do that apart from the way that he's revealed himself to us, we're going to run into all kinds of problems. And so you see here in the midst of this temptation and what Jesus is dealing with and what's going on here. And as he's talking and the Satan is coming at him and these different things, what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture every time it is written, it is written It is written. And so when we start to look at this picture of what it means to come to God's word and the way he's revealed himself, there's there's an interesting uh, comparison here going on with Satan and with Jesus. If you'll notice, Satan's actually quoting scripture, too. Is he not? He's throwing verses out there and Jesus is correcting him each time. And so when we talk about knowing God and the way he's revealed himself to us, It's absolutely important that we approach his word, as as we read in Isaiah 66 this morning, humble and contrite in spirit as one who trembles at the word of God. I want to be real careful that I'm actually saying what it says. That I've taken the time to read through what is the context of what this talk, that I don't pick and choose verses that I feel fit the situation best or I like the best. Whenever somebody throws one singular verse at you to try to make a point, just ask, what's the context of that? They may be using it right, but oftentimes we just like to cherry pick different verses and use it. 
and to be growing in our relationship with the Father, it's absolutely important that we're coming to him as he's revealed himself. That we're not distorting God's word, that we're not misrepresenting who he is. In fact, that will uh, hinder our relationship with him when we're misrepresenting him and we're not coming to him the way he is. I was actually walking and going over this sermon yesterday in my neighborhood. Right. I've mentioned this before. I think my neighbors probably think I'm crazy because I walk down the street like talking to myself. as a, Hey, how are you? I do stop and say hello. I don't just continue to talk to myself. But uh, I got stopped by two young ladies who are Mormons. And I'm reading the point of we have to come to the Father as he's revealed himself or we're not worshiping God as he is. I read these words and this girl goes, hey, can I talk to you about my faith, right? And I was like, <laughs> uh, you want to read this with me? <laughs> it's, it's absolutely vital that we come to God as he's revealed himself and that we allow his word to stand over and above us. And so when we talk about growing in our up relationship with the Father, there's a very vital part of the accuracy and the amount of the word of God that we know and we're letting dwell in us and inform us and walk under that is going to be vital in our relationship with him. And so here God has gone to great lengths for us to be able to know him, to come to him, and he's done so in his word. And so when we talk about these different things of growing in our relationship together, how do we help make disciples? Right? We always come together under God's word. This is what he says, and this is who he is, and this is who we now are in Jesus and because of what he's done. And if we do it devoid of this, we might make some good friends and hang out and laugh and those kind of things, but we're not going to make disciples. And so this is absolutely vital in all that we do. There's two extremes that we'll go to sometimes when we talk about studying God's word. Sometimes I'll hear people say you don't need any commentaries, you don't need anything, you need a pencil and your Bible. And usually people that tell me that say you need a pencil and your King James Bible and you're going to sit down and you're going to just study the word and nothing else. And that's all you need. That's true. You can learn a whole lot and God will guide you and teach you and grow in that. I'm not making light of that. That's important that you do that. But we also need one another. There's an end component even when we begin to study scripture and come together. We are sinful, broken creatures. Yes, God has taken our sin. Yes, we now have the Spirit. Yes, we are new creations. God is at work in us, but we still have this flesh that clings so closely. And so when we open up God's Word, we bring biases, we bring frustrations, we bring heartbreaks, we bring conceptions of who God is because of people or fathers in our lives that weren't perfect. And we have all this stuff there, and we need each other in that. To encourage one another, to hold each other accountable, to walk through Scripture together. One of the uh, most helpful things to me in my life in studying the Scriptures. I had a professor who used to say, I want you to read different commentaries from different times and different cultures. And it will reveal your cultural bias in different ways when you come to God's Word. And that's been a huge help. Am I saying that because I live in 2016 in America? And we need each other in that. The in is vital to the up as we grow in our relationship with God. And so all of these come together. We need one another in that study. We need to let the word stay over us. Two more things real briefly about this. As you see in this, as we grow in this, notice what Jesus says as he quotes in every single one of them. 
right? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then at the end, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. As we grow in our up relationship with the Father, it's through prayer and in community together and in studying his word. As we grow in it, we're going to grow in our obedience to the Father. Everything he says here, you live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus says over and over. You shall not put the Lord your God to your test, to the test. As we grow in our relationship with him and we see him and we fall more in love with him, the more obedient we become. And that's his work in us. As he remakes us from one degree of glory to the other. And we start to grow in that. And that's our picture of discipleship that we often talk about. If you've been here for any time, you've heard me say this a lot. Growing in discipleship, what we talk about is growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And so as we grow in that relationship, he remakes us in these ways and we become more and more obedient to him. And here's the last part, and this is so vital to all of it. And so if you don't hear anything else, right, if you were dozing, just listen for this two minutes, right? Yeah, I see like a couple of heads. So like, okay, all right, I'm here. Yeah. I'm listening. That's okay. Because if you're only going to get one part, this is the part to get. When we talk about all this in our up relationship with the Father, yes, we're to be praying. Yes, we're to be rightly handling the word. Yes, we're to have it stand over it. We're to be be obedient. We're to be in community. But if it's not coming through Jesus, it's all for nothing. Because the truth is, in every single one of these areas, we're going to blow it. We're going to seek to grow in our obedience, and then we're going to mess up. We're going to get up really early this week and pray every day and then some days we're going to oversleep. Or I'm going to start this new Bible reading plan and then I'm going to get to Leviticus and I'm going to stop reading it. Or all those things that we do all the time. But the truth is on every single page of Scripture, in our relationship, our up relationship is Jesus. And it's by grace alone and what He's done for us. And that's the reminder. When you come and you pray, and you get into the Word, and we hold each other accountable, and we get that, if Jesus is not in the center of all of it, we are hopelessly lost. In every single one of those ways of making disciples, it's going to be pointing one another to the fullness of what Christ has already done, and we now get to live this way in light of who we now are in Christ. This is the wonderful good news. We get to be up in a relationship with Father because of Jesus. We get to encourage one another because we get to point each other to Jesus has already done it all. We desire to go out to the world because we know how hopelessly lost we are without Jesus. And so every single part has to hold together in the Word, the Word made flesh, Jesus. Right? That's what John 1 says. It's all Christ right in the middle of it. And if we don't see that, none of this other stuff works. But when we do, Christ in us is going to do all kinds of things we can't imagine. Thankfully, graciously, it has to be complete and utter dependence on him and what he's already done and what he's doing in and through us. So what a gift that we get to do this together. I want you to think that way as we talk about up, in, and out. 
as we continue to talk about what that looks like, I want that to be ringing. We now get to live this way because of who we are in Jesus. This isn't a should or, oh, I'm going to put this on you. This is the abundant life that Jesus prays for that we would have because of what he's done for us. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious picture of what you've called us to. We thank you that we worship a God that is not far off. That as we open your word and we see how you've come to us and you've revealed yourself to us. That you've shown us what it looks like to live this life and live it abundantly. We thank you that you are the perfect example, but we also thank you that you are so much more than just an example. That you are our savior, that you are our king, that you are the ultimate sacrifice. And that when we fail, you have succeeded and you have given us the wonderful fruits of your life and what you've done for us by grace through faith. And we thank you for that. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.